1: Like a welcome summer rain, humor may suddenly cleanse and cool the earth, the air, and you. Langston Hughes. Humor is just another defense against the universe. Mel Brooks. If you could choose one characteristic that would get you through life, choose a sense of humor. Jennifer Jones. Hello, storytellers, and welcome to another episode of Change Your Story, Change Your Life. I'm your host, Louis DiBianco. I've discovered that leaders are readers, and as a listener to this show, you have access as a free gift To any audio book of your choice, choosing for more than 180,000 titles from our sponsor Audible. Just go to www.audibletrial.com forward slash story power, choose the book that you want, download it for free, enjoy it, and keep it forever. Also, you will get a one-month free trial of all of Audible's service. I'm excited to announce that I have created brand new content for you. It is an additional episode, a short one, about five to ten minutes long, and it will appear at least once a week. I call these episodes One Word Stories. Each episode will focus on a word, a common word that we all use, but it may be charged with meanings that are affecting our lives in ways that we can't even imagine. Enjoy these episodes as mini shots of empowerment. Remember to keep your dialogue with the show alive, it enriches everyone. Send Your responses, your comments, your requests to LoseClub at gmail.com. That's L-O-U-S-C-L-U-B at gmail.com. Today's guest is a charming, talented man who can always light up a room with his smile and infectious laughter. Humor is one of his gifts and survival tools a professional actor for more than 40 years who has numerous stage TV and film credits. He's also a sought-after designer of residential and commercial spaces, gardens, exteriors, and special events. He serves an international clientele. He was a resident on-camera designer on HGTV Canada's Love by Design, Date with Design on HGTV US, As a co-production designer with a partner, Andrew Botekia, he worked on two seasons of Trash to Treasure and was the associate production designer on the new Designer Guys, DG3. In his own series, Design Match, he was on-camera co-host and designer. It aired on HGTV Canada, Fine Living Network USA, and HGTV USA. The man and his work have been profiled in such publications as International Architecture and Design, The Globe and Mail, The Toronto Star, and Wish Magazine. Get ready for some inspiration and fun with my gifted friend, Hal Eisen. Hal, welcome to Change Your Story, Change Your Life.
0: Hello, Lewis. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm very happy to be here.
1: It's an honor to have you here. Now, let's have some fun. So, we'll begin at the beginning, Hal. (laughs) Where were you born?
0: Well, I was born right here in Toronto, one of the actual Torontonians, born at Women's College Hospital, right on College Street.
1: And when you were growing up, who would you say was your greatest influence?
0: Probably my mother, but followed very closely by her sister, my aunt, because... My mom had to be a mom. My aunt got to do all the fun stuff. So. <laughs> <laughs> she took me to concerts and movies and drives to the country and ice cream and all of that sort of stuff. So as a kid, she was certainly my favorite. But the reality is, as an adult, I know my mom was my biggest influence.
1: And, and in what way, I mean, what were the things that you would say she influenced uh, you with that, that that have helped you to develop into who you are? Well, interestingly
0: enough, I mean, I was one of those kids who was always into art, artistic building. I built models, but not car models and plane models. I built monster models and, mm. and bird models and painted them. Um, I did puzzles. I, you know, I loved all of... I loved music and movies. And my mom was the first one to take me to see a play. Well, a musical. And surprisingly enough, it was Fiddler on the Roof. Mm. And I remember the smell when the curtain rose of the stage. Wow. And... It, it's never left me. It's never left me. And it was, I mean, Fiddler on the Roof is a brilliant show. It's a beautiful show. It's about love and family and how that gets us through the trials and tribulations of life. And that stuck with me. But it seemed real. That, that, that smell came from the stage and all of a sudden it was like being under some sort of spell and watching this show. And that's why I wanted to become an actor.
1: I love that story. Do you remember what that uh, smell was like? Could, Could you begin to describe it?
0: It's dusty and it's sweet at the same time. And I think, you know, if I think back about when I first started learning about stage makeup and that, I think part of that is the smell of the makeup, because at that time, you know, on stage, people were heavily made up. And so I think it's the combination of dust and sweetness, some sort of sweet, oily um, smell that smelled magical, if magic is a smell.
1: Well, what's so powerful about that is that, I mean, I, I believe that we human beings, I don't care how smart we are we're not really rational. We don't make most of our important decisions in a rational way. We like to think we do, but we make them with our emotions. Mm -hmm. And then we justify them with our minds to say, okay, look how rational I am. (laughs) And
0: our senses.
1: Our senses. But our our senses, I think, are really significant in... I mean, now with the learning about um, neuroscience and how we can affected by things that we are exposed to, what you're telling me is that the decisions that you made that that gave you the direction of your life came from moments like that that were experiential. They were not something that someone was telling you in a classroom. It was an experience. And experience is what transforms us. And that's, that's what's so... Op- experience created a story for you that you began to live into and that's what's so wonderful
0: without knowing it well,
1: of course Yeah. you know
0: i mean yeah. i looked back at that moment and realized what it was at the time it was just this magical intangible thing but it stayed with me my whole life
1: well you know since we're both actors i mean you we both appreciate the sense memory work that was handed down to us uh, through uh the 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 method school where an actor or an actress would use uh sometimes a let's say the the scene has to do with um a moment of sadness and all i had to do was remember let's say the perfume that the girlfriend was wearing 30 years ago when she finally said goodbye and remembering that Brings back the experience and the emotions. And that's how powerful that is.
0: Apparently our olfactory sense, our sense of smell, is um, even stronger than our sense of sight as far as memory is concerned.
1: Which is why our pets are smarter than us. (laughs) (laughs) So now I'd love to know what was life in your high school years like?
0: Okay, um, a mixed bag, shall we say. When I started high school, wow, when I started high school, I was still the ugly duckling. I was still the fat kid with the big head and the glasses and the big teeth and the brush cut and I was a target. I was a target. You know, um, gym classes, murder ball. Does everybody know what murder ball is that has a bunch of different names?
1: But no, I'm not sure I do.
0: <clears throat> murder ball, in our version, was a game where um, you were split into teams. And basically the teams got not basketballs, but volleyballs because they were smaller. And it was supposed to be a fun game to reward, you know, the class. And each team uh, would throw volleyballs at each other. And whoever got hit was out. And the team who had the most players at the end won. So imagine a fat, slow kid with glasses, metal glasses, (laughs) who hated phys ed... (laughs)
1: Playing this game,
0: I was truly the target. I found out years later that for anybody who I was playing with, the aim of the game was not to hit anybody else. It was to hit Hal. And if you could hit me square in the center of my face, you could watch my glasses fold forward. Whoa. Wow. Yes, I still have a scar on the bridge of my nose from my glasses being pounded in.
1: Here's one of the wonderful ironies I want to share with the audience. There are many, many individuals who look great when they're young. (laughs) And then they become cartoonish looking when they get older. They become obese, um, out of shape, and they don't age very gracefully. Well, when you guys go to the website and see Hal's current photo you'll notice that he's a very handsome man. It's true. And, and very youthful looking. And so it's interesting that um, I would love to see what the murder ball people look like today. <laughs> I'm sure they'd be very jealous. And they'd say, oh, my God, we tried to, you know, mess him up and maybe look ugly, but it didn't work. <laughs> That's incredible I love it so, so
0: so those were my early years I did very shortly after that Lose the glasses And get contact lenses um, You know I lost the weight I matured Very early so I had A full beard at 16 Wow! And a big old Swath of you know 60s 70s hair And so the physical stuff went away as far as that ugly duckling thing happened. But here's the reality. I was always attracted to the arts. I was a sensitive kid. I knew I was different, but what I discovered was that I was gay. Now, I I couldn't define it at the time. I couldn't put my, you know, I certainly couldn't put my finger on it, but I knew I was different. And everybody else clearly knew I was different. So that even though the physical stuff went away, the ugly duckling stuff went away, I was still taunted for being, you know, girly or mm. vaggy mm. or that sort of stuff, mm. which I didn't understand. Mm. It just didn't. I knew I didn't like sports, but I still hung out with people who did and all of that sort of stuff. So it wasn't actually until I got into the theater program and started getting leads in shows that I got respect. Even Mm. though I was really smart, I was, you know, a senior scholar, I was on the Ontario Scholars, that didn't matter. But the fact that I could be cast in the lead of a show changed opinions. And that was surprising.
1: Hmm. Now, when you were in school and you were constantly facing derision, how did you deal with the derision and feeling like an outsider?
0: I spent a lot of time on my own. I read a lot. I hid from people, believe it or not. I was always present at school, but... Because I just wasn't clear about why I was so different than everybody else, I figured the lower the profile, the less they would pay attention to me. And that was totally wrong. It wasn't until I got a higher profile that people actually respected me. Mm. And that was a lesson that I didn't set out to learn. It happened. It happened because... I f- I had this theater thing in the back of my mind and and realized, you know, we had a great program at our at our high school and that maybe I could be a part of it, so I started taking theater as a as one of my elective courses and that evolved into a place where luckily I was talented and it was recognized and I got the sort of exposure that the rest of the school's somehow respected.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, didn't you also, at that time, because you were being uh, not treated well by people your own age, didn't you start forming friendships with much older people?
0: Other th- Well, I have one best friend who we actually know each other from grade school. Mm. And her name is Cindy. And, you know, she became the president of the Students' Council. She was always well-respected, had friends in all sorts of different associations, worked in theater. I, of course, did the yearbook in theater. It's the other way around. Hmm. But our friends were two of our teachers hmm. who were both older than us. One was our theater teacher. Her name was Stella Voizen. And the other was our English teacher. And her name was, well, her official name was Agnes Ross, Mrs. Ross, but We all called her Rusty. (laughs) Not at her friends called her Rusty because she had been a redhead. And Rusty took the time in her spares to spend time with me and Cindy
1: Mm. and
0: introduce us to her friends and go over to her place for tea and meet her friends. And we found a group of people who... Respected us for just who we were and what we thought. And it had no, no obvious sort of signs of, well, you're young, you can't say that, or you can't think that. And it felt like home. It mm. felt like, oh, well, this is what I've been looking for in my life. Because <laughs> they always used to say, you know, I was an old soul and the fact that i at 16 i got a beard you know i was i was a kid who was always older than i was in my actual age and finding people who were older in my life who didn't make fun of me could accept me for who i was encouraged me to do the things that i found exciting and interesting to, to actually say, you can be an actor if you want to be an actor. Just because you're smart doesn't mean you can't be an actor. You know, I was 100% in accounting, but I wanted to be an actor. So I had people older than me who said, you could be who you want to be.
1: Did I hear you say that you were accounting?
0: Yeah, I'm a... <laughs> I was a whiz kid.
1: You're not this is going to blow your mind. We know each other a long time, yeah. Before I chose my passion in university English literature, which led me to drama and acting, I was an accounting major. You're kidding, no, you're kidding, no, at the (laughs) City College of New York. Bernard Baruch School of Business and Public Administration. Two years. Wow. Yes. Wow. wow. We just found out something here. This is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's wild. That is so wild. Because my, my parents particularly always said, but you're 100% in accounting. You've got to have that career. You've got to go through and do that. That's, that's what you should do. And that acting thing can be something you do for fun.
1: Accounting would have killed you.
0: It, oh, it so would have killed
1: me. Well, you know, I what I realized was I liked the game of accounting in the classroom. But I did realize, even at that age, I said, you know what? The reality of day-to-day going out into the business world and being in an office, and no, that is not who I am. 100%. And, and the literature classes... Fired up my imagination and took me on journeys that I loved. I said, that's what I've got to follow.
0: Well, I did exactly the same thing. Reading was my escape. Me too. I I mean, you know, uh, like that was how I survived. I took me to, you know, as a kid, the Narnia stories. I discovered um, in our library in grade school, we had a collection of the Narnia stories that nobody knew about at the time. And they were original publications. So they, once again, here's a sense memory, opening a book, an old book, and that smell that comes, you know, that sort of, once again, kind of dusty, and it's what old paper smells like. And I thought I had found Narnia because it was just for me. Mm -hmm. I thought it was this special. Nobody knew about them. I remember reading these books and following the maps, and I would go to my grandparents and under their stairs, there was a a cubbyhole, like, you know, a place where you stored stuff. And that was my secret place. And I would, like going through the wardrobe, I would open the door, sit under the stairs and read those books. And it took me to another world. And that was the magic of that became my love of reading Whatever it was, you know, a classic novel, F. Scott Fitzgerald, Canadian literature, the stories. And I think like you, it influenced me into the sense that being an actor is being a storyteller. Totally. And that's how you communicate with people. You tell a great story Mm. and everybody can relate to a great story because it doesn't have to be their story, but there's an aspect of it that they remember. It's memory. It's memory. Stories affect you because of memory.
1: It's one of the important aspects, absolutely. Now, how did you overcome, because you must have had, I mean, self-doubt and built confidence as a young aspiring actor?
0: Well, as I say, I was lucky to have, meet a lot of older people who gave me Gave me the freedom to believe in myself. But I, I'll, 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 I'll say this quite honestly. I had very dark moments. Uh, dark moments of doubt um, and fear. You know, fear of as you leave high school and get into the world and discover what's out there. Fear. I didn't want to be labeled as a gay man. I didn't think that was a good thing. Um, but I was very lucky. My teacher, Rusty, had a friend who was, who worked as a therapist and he worked for large companies and he would go in and help people who were uh, suffering a trauma in their career, in their life or whatever. He was, he was in essence, an early life coach. He was also gay. And... I'm sure Rusty introduced me to him on purpose Hmm. because she thought of me as someone special, but she was also my English teacher, so she read all of my notebooks and my writings and my journals and knew about my dark side. And she introduced me to him, and we became friends. And he was the first person who ever let me know That I wasn't alone, that there were all sorts of people like me Mm. and that fear as a young person is insular. You feel alone, you feel that no one understands, you can't explain it and have somebody say to you, you're not alone. There are other people like you. There are thousands of people like you. There are hundreds of thousands of people like you. You are your own individual, but your fear, your loneliness, your, your not understanding is nothing to worry about. And he, there's a movement right now called um, It Gets Better. And it is, was set up to help uh, uh, gay youth who were killing themselves. Hmm. Suicide in gay youth is huge. And it's all about gay adults explaining, telling stories, giving encouragement to young gay people, saying, it's the hardest time in your life, but it gets better. This was a precursor of that. Here was a a man, probably in his 30s, who was explaining to, you know, somebody who was... 18, that it gets better. And that was a gigantic step for me. It, um, I was able to talk to Cindy, my best friend, about it. I was able to talk to Rusty, our teacher, about it and realize that <laughs> I was going to be okay. You know, mm. just because you're you can be outgoing and do all sorts of things and be an actor at, in, in, you know, high school still doesn't mean that in your deepest, darkest moments, you don't doubt that anything's possible for you.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: So he was he was one of the major helps of my life. Um And stayed a friend. Uh, um Not a close friend. Rusty was my friend until she died at 90. Wow. I saw her. We spent, I'd always see her on Christmas day. We'd get together, you know, during the year. Um, but that's, you know, once again, somebody older than me who I continued to look up to, but also look up, look at as an equal and was treated as an equal, which even my first partner, um, I was 18. He was 33. Mm. And it wasn't a case of, you know, some young person being preyed on by an older person. I pursued him. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) I pursued him. I, you know, saw somebody who just kind of rocked my world. And, uh, but it was also because he was a stage manager. I was putting myself through theater school by working at, at, at St. Lawrence Center, being a bartender and working in the box office. Uh, he was involved in the theater. I had to do late bar, you know, to, to make more salary. So I, all the people from the company would come and, and hang out and talk. And I saw this person who was smart and funny and loved and accepted and, you know, great looking and sexy and the whole package. And I thought, well, I want that. (laughs) 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 So, you know, it's uh, so there you have it. You know, my my relationships as a teenager were with older people to help me get through something. And then we were together for, I think, 13 years before he died. Wow. Um but clearly I needed that in my life. I needed I needed people with experience and um love to accept who I was.
1: Thank you so much for sharing. That is a wonderful, wonderful story. And also thank you for um sharing with the audience what I told them about your infectious laughter
0: <laughs> <laughs> i ha- it's it's a blessing and a curse there are many actors who say to me don't tell me if you're coming to see the show because if it's a comedy and i don't hear your laugh i'll be disappointed <laughs> and if it's a tragedy and i do hear your laugh i'll be disappointed <laughs> so don't tell me, but there are a number of people who could spot me in an audience without knowing it. That. <laughs> that's great.
1: Can you talk a bit about the darkest period in your life?
0: Well, I guess some people would say that's a hard thing to do, but for me, it's, I won't say easy, but it's very clear to me what that period was. Um In 1988, on October 30th, my first partner, Sean, died of AIDS. And on December 7th, my mother died of lung cancer. Mm. So, the two people in my life who knew me the best were gone. And it was devastating I mean it's you know first of all it's the 80s Sean was from New York originally he was the first person to tell me about that there was this weird gay cancer happening in New York which turned out to be AIDS and my first partner dies of AIDS my mother was only 60 and she died of lung cancer. And I just thought, well, that's it. The world is over. There's no... People are dying around me, left, right, and center. People of my generation are dying. Parents are dying. What's left? And at the time, I... I, I went into a very deep depression. And I was very lucky, um... Because a dear friend, uh, Richard Minette, who was a, I met through one of my best friends, Stuart Arnott, uh, recommended a, a psychiatrist to me. Um, and I didn't want to go, but I thought, well, it's either that or it's over. I'm going to kill myself. And uh, his name was Dr. Is Dr. Richard Mean. And I started seeing him. Um, without the support of my friends, I probably wouldn't have been able to do that. Stuart and my other dear friend, Heidi Von Pelesk, uh, both had keys to my house. And they would come in, They, you know, day to day, different one, and open the door and kind of see if I was around. And if I wasn't around, kind of yell out, you all right? And I'd say, I'm fine. And I'd either say, you can go away now, or I can talk to you. And I call those my duvet days. Mm. I would not leave the bed unless I had an appointment with my psychiatrist. And I would, in the winter, put on a pair of boots, put a coat over my pajamas, drive to see him, come home, and go back to bed. Mm. And that lasted, wow, that lasted close to a year. Um, Of course, you know, when you, finding a psychiatrist is like finding a best friend. You have to have a connection. And I was lucky enough that, and I think that's why Richard recommended him to me, that uh, he got me. He was a gay man. He loved the theater. He was erudite. He was well-read. He had a wicked sense of humor. And the darker it gets for me, the funnier I get, apparently. And uh, we hit it off. And he talked me through a lot of things, but he also got me on medication, which I fought for probably three years. I, and I think our parents as well, come from generations of, ah, sure, I'll take an aspirin if I have to. But, you know, I'm a smart person. There's nothing wrong with me. What's medication going to do? That's just a crutch. And I wouldn't accept it. Until finally, he showed me notes of three years. And he said, look at November through April. And I said, why those months? He said, just look at them. And that's when I was the most depressed. And he said, I think you have SAD. And SAD is, for anybody who doesn't know what the acronym means, it's a seasonal affected disorder. And that means that in the season where you get the least amount of light, i.e. the winter... You get more depressed. You don't have the vitamin D in your system. um, And it affects you. You are affected in a negative way. And I thought that was pretty stupid. I thought, (laughs) come on, please, you know, what? After all, you know, my my first lover dies, my mother dies, and you're saying part of the reason I'm depressed is because I'm sad. It sounds really stupid. But it was true. It was true. And I looked at those notes and I went, Jesus, it's a pattern. It really is a pattern. And that's what convinced me to start trying to take medication. I mean, this was way back in the Prozac days when Prozac was new. And uh, that didn't work for me. A couple of other medications didn't work for me because basically they, they dulled my mind. They... They made me feel like I wasn't myself. I, they made me feel like I, everything was in a fog. Nothing. Maybe I wasn't as sad as I had been, but I certainly wasn't happy either. I was nothing. I was just neutral. And I actually said to him, I said, you know, if this is as good as it gets, then I'll take the depression because <laughs> at least I'm feeling something and I need to feel stuff. And uh, I eventually went on a medication called Effexor, which at the time was in trials. And it was the first one. Basically, what these medications are, are serotonin reuptake inhibitors, which means that your body sucks up serotonin too fast, doesn't leave it there over a long period. And serotonin makes you feel happy, better. Serotonin comes from... Sunshine, serotonin comes from vitamin D, all of those things. So, therefore, said this particular medication was serotonin and epinephrine. And so I said, So, why that? Why would that make a difference? And he said, That's why it's in trials. We don't know. We just know they're found together. So, they're trying that. That's the one that worked for me. And I've been on it for 30 years.
1: Wow. So, yeah. Well, good for you, man. Good for you that you, uh, you found it. Now, yes. didn't, I believe you mentioned to me in one of our conversations that consciously we're using humor to help you survive and <laughs> grow during that period. Can you give us uh, a little oh. insight into that?
0: Oh, my God. I'm a, I am have an odd mind. Um, somehow, Somehow in my darkest moments, being funny, making fun of myself, gets me through. And it often takes people by surprise because I'll... My mother was dying of cancer and it was the summer. And we she'd been diagnosed in the spring. This was the summer. I'd been looking after her. I stopped acting. I took time off. And... <sighs> Being the wonderful person that she was, she said, you need a break. And I was like, yeah, well, I'm not going anywhere. And the next day, she gave me a ticket to New York, where one of my best friends was living, $500 U.S., and she said, you're getting on a plane on Friday. I've already called Catherine.
1: Hmm.
0: So away I went, miserable and relieved. Um, scared, happy to see my dear friend, and we partied for a week. Now, partied included going to see shows like Into the Woods, where in the second half there are songs like "Sometimes People Leave You" halfway through the woods. <laughs> <laughs> I was a weepin' and a crying and, uh, you know, blowing snot out of my nose. But we, Catherine also knew who I was and what I needed. And she took me to see friends and went out to bars and dancing and people would go, wow, you're, you know, you're so much fun. <laughs> and I said, yeah, well, I'm most fun, you know, uh, when my mother's dying. And they'd be like, oh, God, what a stupid thing to say. God, that's silly. I'd go, like, no, my mother's dying. And they'd be, yeah, right. Go on. And I'd be like, no, my mom's dying. Well, why are you here? Why are you? And I said, because laughter, joy, friendship. I come from a parent who knows, even though she's dying, that we need it to survive. And... I told the dirtiest, darkest, rudest jokes, because it shocked people and made them laugh, and by seeing them laugh, it made me laugh, and it released, released that horror, that sadness of losing somebody you love.
1: Hey, this makes total sense. I mean, laughter is an amazing, it, it, it's 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 an amazing, powerful. Gift and uh, a healing gift, a healing absolutely, it's a healer. I mean, there are cases uh, that I think have been documented of people using humor to heal themselves physically, but it will certainly help to heal spiritually, and and emotionally, and psychically. And uh, so, it makes total sense. And I'm really, really glad that you uh, shared that with me and and with uh, my storytellers. Well, Beautiful. if you
0: find it, it'll make all the difference in the world to you. It's, uh, we even have exercises, theater exercises, where we have to fake laugh until you actually start laughing. It's, it's so much a part of who we are as human beings. Mm-hmm. And it releases all of these positive chemicals in our body and in our mind that, um, it's not like some sort of ooga booga thing that that's not documented. It's real. It's there. It changes your life if you could find it.
1: Well, I feel blessed that I didn't have to find it. It found me. <laughs> I I I uh, love humor. I love um, I do have an ability to make people laugh, and yes. I have an ability to make myself laugh. So I. I do value that a lot. It's interesting that one of the great playwrights of the 20th century, Samuel Beckett, uh, who wrote uh, very, very bleak plays, the saving grace in all of them is the... Is the
0: dark humor. The dark the humor. It's Absolutely. To- it's
1: outrageously funny. And uh, I know that he was aware of using humor to deal with what he otherwise considered was a nightmare. You know? Well...
0: Certainly. I bet you as a kid did the same thing I did. I would make jokes around bullies or people who scared me to, to diffuse the horror, the, the badness, the, you know, the, the fear of what, what's going to happen. I would make fun of myself. Mm -hmm. And I still use that today that if I'm In a situation, whether it's professional or personal, and I feel that I'm with somebody who's uncomfortable for whatever reason, it's so much easier to make fun of yourself and go, oh, you know, I do that all the time. I'm I'm I'm, you know, talk about, you know, you know, falling over and and on the banana peel. You should see the time that I, you know, fell over in a chair in a restaurant, you know, that sort of stuff. It's so much easier to make fun of yourself. To make somebody else laugh, and there's a kindness about it, as opposed to, as opposed to laughing at somebody at their own, at their expense. You laugh at yourself at your own expense, but you're the one who's doing it, and uh, it, diff- it can diffuse all sorts of things.
1: Absolutely. So you hear that storytellers, if you feel like crap. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> laugh and then if you feel crappier laugh harder and uh i'll go farther than what hal suggested definitely laugh at yourself but you know what hey laugh at other people too <laughs> i mean yeah of course comedians the great comedians mean nothing or anyone is, is, off is off limits, man. I mean, I I highly recommend anyone who's a little sad. If you have Netflix, watch Ricky Gervais' latest show called Humanity. And if you're not laughing throughout that, I would seek counseling. <laughs> it's absolutely outrageously funny and very, very smart. So shifting gears a bit what was one of your best experiences in either screen acting or stage acting?
0: Um, Well, oddly enough, one of the best screen experiences I ever had um, was on a small film called The Baby Formula. And that is, that, that came about under a program that we have here in Canada. It was a TIFF film, which means that... It uses union people, but because the producers, directors, whatever, putting in their own money to create it, everybody gets paid on a much lower scale. But at least everybody's professional. And uh, this film was written, directed, and produced by uh, a woman who is mainly a stunt coordinator. But this was a story about two women who produce sperm from their egg cells through a scientist and fertilize each other. Hmm. So not yet happening, but certainly on the cutting edge of what could happen in the near future. And I played the one of the the girl's father, and uh, we were a gay couple. So there's your basic story. It was a comedy, it a love story. But the great thing about it was that we became a family. All these people who didn't know each other, and this happens on projects. Actors talk about this all the time. But we became a family of friends who... Were allowed to be free this wonderful director Ally Allison she she wrote it so we'd learn it we'd do it we'd shoot it and then we'd play she would say and now play and she'd shoot the scenes again and we would riff on the dialogue and 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 play with each other as characters and I would say at least a third of that film the finished film are uh the scenes that were kept were the improvisational scenes Mm. so as an actor you you understand the joy of of that of knowing the work and then the play of it the the that's what acting is it's playing and the better the actor is the more they're intently know who they are and they're just playing with the other person Mm -hmm. and that joy comes across in the film and it's uh it's a little film it did very well for one of those films you know it played all sorts of film festivals it got picked up by the by air canada it was got uh you know um it, it, it got uh, pay-per-view viewing. It got picked up by CBC. So for one of those little films, it did really, really well. And it also brought... <laughs> one of the films it went to was the Gay and Lesbian Film Festival in San Francisco. And it was going to premiere there at the Castro Theater on Gay Pride Weekend.
1: <laughs>
0: now... I was with my partner, Andrew, at the time, who I'm still with, and we were broke. But I said to Andrew, I'm putting this on my credit card and we're going because what other opportunity is there going to be like this to be in? A, and and we would never been to San Francisco, so they were going to take our gay cards away anyway. <laughs> and uh, we went. And so this remarkable experience As an actor, as something in my career that turned into something really positive uh, as a person, got even more special because we got to go to the Castro for our opening night. I got to stand on the stage and listen to the organ and look out at that theater and talk to people who loved our film. It It was pretty remarkable.
1: What year was that?
0: Wow, that's got to be at least 10 years ago, I would say.
1: Wow, you had fun and you got to keep your gay cards.
0: I got to keep my gay card, yes. And and I still have it (laughs) right here in my pocket.
1: That's wonderful. That is wonderful. When did you, no, before I ask you that, how did you discover your talent for design?
0: I was an always. I was always an artsy kid, so you know, like I said, I paint models, I do puzzles, but um, when I was in theater school, I uh, because it was Ryerson, and Ryerson was a polytech at the time. It's a university now, so you didn't just get to go and be an actor. You had to learn you know, dance and mime and stage fighting, but you also had academics and you had to learn stage craft, which meant, uh, stage managing, designing a show, designing costumes, designing lighting, uh, theater history. Um, so history of theaters and, and theater history being history of plays. And I think I was the only kid there who loved that. Mm. I loved it. It, it, totally fulfilled my other artistic side. So I learned about light theory and color theory and, and perspective and period, you know, period furniture, what fits in a period plays this period furniture and everything from, you know, ancient stuff to contemporary stuff. And that, that sat with me. It stayed with me in a way that, uh, was kind of surprising. I mean, I was already helping to put myself through through theater school at that time. I would hang pictures for designers. I had a natural ability to see stuff like that. Um, I started doing flowers for um, occasions. Uh, my partner was one of the partners in Fenton's, Sean. And Fenton's was a very big restaurant at the time, and Mm. they lost the person who was doing the flowers, and I had always done flowers around his place, and he said, would you like to do this? So that became a career and a money-making thing that helped me get through theater school as well. I was very lucky that I fell into that in a way that um, I got to learn the basics of somebody who was going to school for that stuff, even though... I was supposedly there to be an actor but I also ended up having a practical experience at the same time so doing things like that became my way of supporting myself as I was becoming an actor
1: and it was also giving you creative expression
0: oh totally i mean yeah, how how right. i mean even to this day how lucky to have two careers which are both about being an artist being able to express yourself, affecting people, making them happy, you know, thats that was a joy. I mean, I did work as a bartender once, but <laughs> most of the rest of the time, I was either working as an actor or working in some field of design.
1: Do you love both performing and design work equally? Or is there one that you prefer?
0: I don't think there's anybody who's an actor who would ever say that they didn't love being an actor more. Um, Being, I always, you know, when I, when I've had to talk to kids, go to schools or whatever, and talk to kids, friends about being an actor. I always say, if there is anything else in your life that you think will fulfill you, choose that. Mm. But if there isn't, then try to be an actor. Mm -hmm. And I think, Once you make that commitment in life and you have a certain amount of success, you know that regardless of all the other great things that you do in your life, there's always a part of you that's going to define yourself as an
1: actor. Mm. And
0: there's never anything quite like that joy when it works as an actor. We've all done work that's, you know, pays the rent, TV stuff, commercials, whatever, But when every few years you find that like that film I was talking about, when you find that there's nothing else like it,
1: Mm -hmm. It, it's, it's Mm. a
0: drug. It's a, it's, it's an addiction. And so I'll always love acting more, Mm. which doesn't mean that the design aspect hasn't been incredibly fulfilling and exciting and taken me to places, you know, all over the country and all over the States and, um, And has engendered incredible, wonderful relationships with people, which is the other, you know, as actors, we develop those relationships. In design, when you're really working with people, you become friends, you become intimate friends, you know stuff about people's lives that they don't necessarily reveal to other people, and you become very close. And those relationships have continued to stay with me as well, so...
1: You just answered another question of mine. How has design enriched your personal life? And that's, oh, there it yeah. is. Yeah. So
0: many ways. I mean, there's There's just the joy of seeing something that you thought of in your head. And then it you create it in an actual physical space. That's amazing when it works. Mm-hmm. But it's sort of like opening night. You know, you're waiting, you're putting it all together. You're waiting and waiting and on opening night. You're like, and did it work? <laughs> so you have that aspect, which is a high as well. But yeah, the personal relationships, I think that's, well, I think that's in life what keeps me going, mm-hmm. are, are my personal relationships. Mm-hmm. My my friends have become my family because I lost my family. You know, I'm an only child and both my parents are gone. Um, and my initial family of friends were my friends from the theater. And now I'm lucky enough to have additional family of friends who are friends from design.
1: Well... I've known you for a long time, and you have quite a wonderful circle of friends. It's true. I'm blessed. And they are, because, I mean, you bless their lives. Now, if you could wave a magic wand, Hal, and change just one thing in the world, only one, what would it be?
0: In the world. <sighs> well, <laughs> you know, the uh, I'm going to be very specific that Donald Trump never became president. Because I think he is taking... I mean, I have many friends in the States. There are specifics, many specifics about the man, but what I wish... The reason I wish I could change that he ever became president is because I think the effect he's not only having on the States, but on the entire world. The um, the ugliness that his presidency has brought back, the the uh, the hatred, the... There's something about him as a person that seems to allow ugliness, hatred, fear, and destruction to seem okay to some people. And I find that horrifying. Hmm. So if I could, I'd wave that magic wand and that man... I'm not saying... Kill him! I'm saying that man just would not be president. Let mm. him let mm. him do his evil deeds in his own business, as horrible as that has been, and all of the horrible things we've learned about that. But being a president has affected the world, and has affected how people feel they can assault other people and cheat and lie in a way that I find uh, really hard.
1: Mm. Do you have a favorite book?
0: Oh, wow.
1: You probably have many, but you you have to pick one. I do. (laughs) I have to.
0: Okay, think about this. Um, Wow. You know, I mean, I loved the classics. I loved American writing. Read everything Fitzgerald ever did. Um, Canadian literature has been my godsend, my saving grace. You know, Margaret Atwood. Michael Ondachi, I tried to make a movie of of uh, Skin of the Lion with Heidi. Um,
1: but you've got to pick one. It doesn't, have, it doesn't have to be fiction. It can yeah, be. You but... know what?
0: This is very interesting. Um, as much as I love fiction, and that is my sort of go-to, there's a book by an actor called Alan Cumming called Not My Father's Son that came out... Probably just a couple of years ago. and it is a autobiography. he is a he's an incredibly talented actor, singer. He has a wicked sense of humor. and it is about finding out that this man, his father, who had, physically abused him, who had physically and, and verbally abused his mother and his other brother, who uh, who made his life a living hell, he discovers by going back not only how that relationship shaped him, but that he actually wasn't his father's son. And And so the title, which you assume means I'm this sort of person and my father was that sort of person and I'm not my father's son he actually finds out that he was not his actual genetic father. Mm. And he through humor and hard work comes to terms with that. And it was it's incredibly compelling and mm. moving because of course as a gay man I mean he discovers he's a gay man as well. Uh, It's not my story, but it was a story that, much like when I was a teenager and first talked to that friend of Rusty's who said there are other people out there like you, he is another person like me. And uh, it really affected me Mm. in a really positive way because it reminded me of how we do come out the other end, you know, how if we put our minds to it and are open to learning and loving and laughing that we can be stronger and be better people.
1: Absolutely. Thank you so much for that. Do you have a favorite quote?
0: (laughs) Yes, I do. And uh, this is also because of Rusty. Because she taught me my first Shakespeare. And it is Polonius... To Laertes before he goes off to school, and it is this above all to thine own self be true, and it must follow as the night the day, that thou canst not then be false to any man.
1: Wow! <laughs> and for the listeners, that is from the play Hamlet. Hamlets. Absolutely, I love that.
0: And it and and it's. Even though I have a very good memory for things, and I had to learn to, to to learn how to learn things because I was dyslexic, I once I've finished, I those lines tend to go away. But that has stayed with me my entire life, and I learned it. I think at seventeen.
1: Mm. Well, it's timeless. I mean, it really is. It's timeless. It applies to anybody, any time, any place. Absolutely. You know? Good old Willie Shake. Yeah, yeah no kidding, no. how about that? Where do you see yourself in five years, Hal? Huh?
0: Well, um, I will still be acting. That just is not going to ever go away. Um, we have a, a, a bit of a, a dream. I would say it's my partner Andrew started it, but, uh, we, we, it has become our dream. Um. Many, many years ago, I met a friend here in Toronto who uh, was doing his residency at Sick Kids and uh, Dr. Clyde Cave, and he went back to Barbados where he had gone to school. And so I actually the year after my mother died, he invited me there as a respite to get away f- from it all after Sean and my mom had died, and I started going to Barbados. And when Andrew and I got together over 15 years ago, he met Clyde, and Clyde invited us to Barbados. And Andrew stepped off the plane and felt that he had found home. And in the last few years, we have he has come up with this idea that I want to support him in and could see happening, that we find a place there and uh, open bed and breakfast, uh, uh, a sort of um, maybe more than that, but uh, uh, a house that people can come to that would uh, exchange ideas with Canadian art and Bayesian art, um, would support the medical community in the sense of always having a place where somebody who was uh, had to come in from outside the island to help um, could, could have a place to stay for a couple of weeks. And uh, to have a life in paradise.
1: I'll do it soon and I'll book a flight. <laughs> yes, indeed. I like that. How can people contact you?
0: Well, um, certainly uh, my email, which is hal, uh, all lowercase, H-A-L, at Botecia, B-O-T-T-E-C-C. H-I-A, group, G-R-O-U-P, dot com. That's the easiest way.
1: What about uh, a website for your design?
0: <laughs> yes, there's a website under construction.
1: Under construction. <laughs> okay. We
0: are lucky enough to have lots of referrals, so. Okay. We work from person-to-person person for the most part, but we are very, very, very open to new clients, new experiences, color consultations, up to full build. So it, it's, uh, don't limit yourself if you're interested in getting in touch.
1: Fantastic. Is there anything I haven't asked you that I should have asked? Ah,
0: uh, I don't think so. <laughs> uh, anything you should have asked? Well, I will tell you something. Um... I work all the time at staying positive, but there is a reality that every day is a challenge. And when you have suffered from any kind of um, emotional trauma, uh, emotional doubt, that it's kind of like being um, an addict. You know, they say that, uh, every day is the first day for an alcoholic. Every day is the first day of, for somebody who's, you know, I still take my medication. I still have bad days. I have to greet each day and say that something may go wrong, but I'm going to try and overcome it. I'm not going to just expect that life is easy. And uh, mental illness, which, you know, is basically because we're a bag of chemicals and my chemicals work this way and that doesn't work that way. Mental illness is a daily challenge to not have a duvet day again, you know. And if I do have a duvet day, to not beat myself up about it.
1: That's, thank you for sharing that. I, you just made me think of a book that you may find uh, uh, valuable. Miracle Morning, or I think it's The Miracle Morning by Hal Elrod. Very, very powerful, inspiring book.
0: Well, he's got my name, so it sounds like something I should read.
1: There it is. (laughs) Any final thoughts for our storytellers?
0: Well, my final thought would be stay engaged Mm. because, let's face it, That's what telling a story is about, is it engaged you and you want to share it with somebody else to engage them. And anything is a story. Walking down the street, taking a photograph, meeting a dog, um, uh, you know, having your neighbor's cat rub against you. The other day I was walking to the bank and the first robin of spring, even though it doesn't feel like spring was in a bird bath and he was fluffing up his feathers and I just thought, you know, like, watch. There's this amazing creature. This creature who's just living his life and moving on and going forward. And uh, it engaged me. It made me feel better. And that's, that's the whole thing. Look around you, tell the story, share what you just saw with your friends, your family, because It brought you joy.
1: Wow. Thank you so much for that. That was a beautiful, beautiful um, way to bring this to a a conclusion. And what I love about it is that you're recommending to people, which is so important, to stay present, to observe your world. Basically...
0: Be in the now.
1: Be in the now and... It's wake up and smell the flowers. Thank you so much. Thank you once again, storytellers, for sharing this time today with me and my friend Hal Eisen and coming with us on this rather intimate journey. And we covered a lot of ground. Share this with people. Pay it forward. Let them know that they can hear this on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, and at the website changeyourstorypodcast.com. Remember to go to that website and grab the free gift that I have created for you. Download the ebook Storytelling Secrets for a Rich Life and Business. While we're talking about books, I will always remind you. To take advantage of the offer from our sponsor Audible, where you can go and download any audio book of your choice for free and get a one month free trial of all of Audible's service. Simply go to www.audibletrial.com forward slash story power. We did cover a lot of ground. The things that I would like you to focus on, to take away from this particular episode, reflect on them during the coming week, are these. Number one, the power of laughter to heal. The power of laughter to give you victory over very, very painful moments. Also, the other really important thing, a theme was the theme about discovering that whatever you're going through, no matter how you feel, you are never alone. If you feel like your experience is terrible, painful, but it's only yours, remember that there are others who have experienced it who have conquered it, who have grown from it. And if you reach out, you will find connection, inspiration, and hope. And to help you take that first courageous step, ask yourself, how can I change my story and change my life?